Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. We just got back from a really long road trip. Uh, my, my dad's birthday party was taking place, but uh, we couldn't stay overnight. We had to drive there and drive back the same day, and it's nearly four hours one way. So it was a, it was a pretty long, drawn-out road trip for us. Essentially, it was in Canada. It was pretty much in Canada. So... Um it could have been a lot shorter, but I wasn't driving, <laughs> and uh, that made things uh, well, take a little bit longer. Yeah, than... I don't know why you always criticize my driving. I'm either going too slow or I'm going too fast. There seems to be That's like why I criti- about... like you just said why I criticize you. <laughs> well, it just seems like there's about a three mile per hour window of acceptance when when you're my passenger. So. Um, in between, uh, like, Old Town, Maine, and then Canada, essentially, the interstate is uh, marked at... 75. 75 miles per hour. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you were going 60. That's not true. Yeah, uh-huh. on our way home, you were going 60. Well, I was trying to avoid all the moose mm-hmm. in the highway, which, yeah. by the way, what we saw... What if they were real, real slow moose? <laughs> then they were goners. I see what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm an excellent and driver. Sure. Um, in fact, I, I considered going pro at one point. I was going to be a race car driver. I was going to be a professional NASCAR driver. At mm. one. That was my goal. But you didn't get there in time. <laughs> so you couldn't be. <laughs> All right. That's enough of that. <laughs> Legitimately 60 miles per hour. It was not. It was. It at was. one point I looked over and it was 62 and you hit the brake. <laughs> on the interstate. Not true. <laughs> Anywhoozle, it was a nice yeah, party. It was. It was. We were just exhausted by the time we got home. Regardless, you go first on today's episode. I do. Yeah, have at it, girly. I love it. Okay. This was a suggestion 
that we got a little while ago that I'm just getting around to. It was something that I wanted to to look into, and uh, then I couldn't stop reading about it today. So I figured, hey, this works. Okay. Today I want to talk about Hopar Villa. Okay, what is that? That's what I'm getting about. It's where we're going to talk ha- about. Okay. That's why I'm, I'm so glad talking about it because otherwise it would be very unfulfilling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not telling you. Damn it! Uh, so, Burmese Chinese brothers Ah Boon Pa and Ah Boon Par developed Tiger Bomb. You Tiger. know Tiger Bomb. Tiger Bomb. Well, yeah. What is that? What, uh, it's bomb. Right. But it's Tiger Bomb. Uh, yeah. Okay. Why do I know this? Because it's Tiger Bomb. What does it do? It is like it's um, it's Tiger Bomb. Okay, it's like a a soothing ointment. Yeah, it's a pain relieving ointment. ointment. Is it moist? Stop. God. Uh, okay. I wonder what it tastes like. Stop. I worked in three words that Cat hates in one paragraph. So anyway, uh, the the predecessor to the uh, Ha Par Corporation, which is what the company that makes Tiger Bomb, uh, was founded by Achu Kien, father of Ah Boon Ha and Boon Par brothers. So Boon Ha wanted to create a space in addition to having this great company where they branched out to a lot of different products, really. He wanted to create a space to teach traditional Chinese values. And so when they relocated to Singapore, he found this space that worked for um, his needs according to the laws of Feng Shui. And it was on the front of a small hill. It faced the Singapore Strait. It was deemed suitable and was purchased in 1935. Tiger Bomb's been around for a long time. I had no idea. Yeah. So um, between 1937 and the time of his death in 1954, Boon Ha commissioned statues and dioramas in the park that served as entertainment and to teach. So Ha Par Villa was started in 1937, designed as a place to be a fun way to teach children about Buddhist, Confucian, and Taoist mythology. According to the Ha Par Villa website, it was the, quote, brainchild of Abun Ha, the millionaire philanthropist, I I always Mm. want to put the emphasis (laughs) on the wrong syllable there, the millionaire philanthropist and marketing extraordinaire who gifted the world Tiger Bomb. I just think it's a very beautiful and flowery way to (laughs) state who he was, but Uh that's fine. Okay. Um, When war broke out, the Ah family fled Singapore, and the park was used as an observation point for the Japanese army. It was only in the post-war years that Abun Ha returned to Singapore and then began to rebuild the park. And this, of course, was World War II. That's right. Okay. So from the 1940s to the 1970s, many members of the Ah family contributed to the park's development, and that included uh, Boon Par's son, Ah Chen Chi, who made various additions to the park's dioramas, and his passion for travel led to um, an expansion of styles in the dioramas and the the statues. So uh, he brought four corners of the world look at things to to the park. The park was actually originally named Tiger Bomb Gardens. Uh, maybe they thought that was too literal. I don't know. Maybe they were just forward thinking. You know, like kind of like, like Wrigley Park. Sure, or the Sun Kissed Fiesta Bowl, or something like that. 
It said right in the description that he was a marketing extraordinaire. <laughs> well, there you go. He was way ahead of his time. So let's talk a little bit about the park. There's a signature red brick road, which weaves through the majestic entrance archway. Now, I'm taking this from the uh, website for Hapar Villa. So as I said, it's written beautifully. And you may note some of the the lyrical stylings of the, the way it's written. On the signature red brick road, through the majestic entrance archway, look out for Chinese classics such as Journey to the Worlds and Eight Immortals. Tigers, leopards, and dragons lurk in corners. Rolling hills and caves evoke contemplation and reflection. Elsewhere in the park, animals of all shapes and sizes beckon. Goats, pandas, rabbits, gorillas, giant lobsters, and even a crab lady. A crab lady? Now we're talking. Well, yeah. Um, this park is teaching some lessons to children that in some cases are horrifying. <laughs> so the main and first attraction at Ha Par Villa is the Ten Courts of Hell, <laughs> the realm of the dead or hell in Chinese mythology. It's loosely based on a combination of the Buddhist concept of Naraka, traditional Chinese beliefs about the afterlife, and a variety of popular expansion and reinterpretations of these two traditions. So they lure the kids in with cute, fluffy animals. And then they take them to hell. I bet the gift shop sucks. So uh, this space is typically depicted as a subterranean maze with various levels and chambers. Because, of course, every kid's park should have chambers. <laughs> the souls are taken after death to atone for the sins they committed when they were alive. Is that, the, is that what the admission price is? <laughs> you get there and they suck your soul out. And then take it to the underworld. Okay, move ahead. It's kind of like a ground round where you pay what you weigh. I forgot about that. <laughs> the exact number of levels in hell and their associated deities differ between Buddhist and Taoist interpretations. Some speak of three or four courts. Others mention ten courts of hell, each of which is ruled by a judge. Other Chinese legends speak of the 18 levels of hell. Uh, each court deals with a different aspect of atonement and different punishments. Uh, most legends claim that sinners are subjected to gruesome tortures until their quote-unquote deaths, after which they are restored to their original state for the torture to then be repeated. And there are 18 levels. Well, it, in, in it this, varies. Okay, but in, in the case you were just describing, there were... That's right. So what happens once you clear all 18 levels? You start over again. There's no kill screen. No. You start all over again. No, there's no. That sucks. It's not like if you beat the boss, then you. Oh. Yeah. It wouldn't be a fun video game at all. No. By the ninth court of hell, when the children are thoroughly disturbed, uh, they learn that participating in unlawful conduct not previously stated in the other courts uh, will result in having one's head and arms chopped off. The laws and punishments in the Ten Courts are upheld by Hafa Shije, a greenish monster with immense eyes who can control ghosts and devils. Is this like like a Disney animatronics character that comes out and hacks limbs off of children to demonstrate what the kids have to look forward to? It's not animatronic, but it is a statue that shows the hacking. There is the hacking. <laughs> okay. Don't least... think for a moment there's not hacking. Man. Uh, each of the courts depicts him carrying out the various punishments to hapless evildoers. Now, 
when we talk about the lessons being learned, there are sometimes very specific wrongdoings mentioned, and those wrongdoings seem to have their own punishment. So, for instance, if you cheat on a test at school, you might be thrown into the tree of knives. The tree of knives. Mm-hmm. Which wow. is illustrated by showing just legs stuck to you know, impaled through uh, knives that are on a tree. Right. For cheating on a test. Yeah. God. Yeah. The park has over a thousand statues set up across dioramas. There's a large diorama illustrating the legend of the white snake, which is one of China's four great folktales, which depicts the story of a young boy who accidentally takes pills, giving him immortality and throwing them up in the sea, which forever intertwines his life with the snake who eats them and adds 500 years to his life. That's fun. Another smaller diorama, although it's still life-sized, shows a grandmother breastfeeding from a younger woman. Uh, That's inspired about a myth about uh, piety, wherein a young woman looks after her aged great-grandmother-in-law for many years and on her deathbed demands, I want all of the sons and grandsons and their wives to be as respectful as their daughter-in-law has been. So it's about respecting your elders and therefore is represented by a breastfeeding grandmother. God, I thought It's a Small World After All was horrifying. Nope. So, Hopar Villa, as I said, with its 1,000 statues, shows various stages of dismemberment, um, blood and guts. The Tree of Knives is a a great uh, illustration of what could happen to you. Um, The the various points in hell, as I said, there are uh, 10 levels of hell represented in the park so but there's potentially as many as 18 as you potentially yes so there is room for expansion that's right i think it's important yeah yeah you want to buy enough land so you can continue to expand your amusement park absolutely disney taught us that in orlando so in the uh, 50s and 60s, the park was very popular. And in a study that they did in the mid-90s, a huge number of Singapore adults said that they remember learning their Chinese lessons from the park, that their parents took them there, and that's how they taught them you know, how to behave, essentially. Wow. wow. By way of bloody statues, beheaded statues. Dismembered statues. Right. Sure. Um, it's important to be able to really see it, uh, to understand what will happen to your tiny, tiny body if you misbehave. This is shocking <laughs> and delightful. Go ahead. So uh, in the 80s, there was a, a real effort to make this into a moneymaker. You know, the 80s. And uh, so there was a, a lot of money dumped into it. They uh, started charging admission. And the park actually lost a lot of money because people stopped going when you had to pay for the the bloody dismembered statue I viewing. See. Yeah. Um, uh, but that it since had kind of a, a revamp again. And in in the 90s, they they went back to a no admission fee model. And I think it suffered because of that experiment in the 80s, what? which, you know, we have all experienced. So if they don't charge to get in, mm-hmm. how do they fund it? Is I it, don't know. Okay. I think it... G- gift shops, snack stands, that sort of thing, maybe. Concessions. There's actually not much for that there are vending machines there hmm. uh but it's not really they don't have like funnel cakes no 
But I think it would be interesting to serve. I think it would be interesting and they maybe should consider serving like themed snacks. So oh. if you had a, a funnel cake, maybe like a raspberry drizzle that drips out of the bottom, representing the blood that will uh, drip from your body. If you're caught spinning on the sidewalk. <laughs> I think that's a That's a great business opportunity. Thank you. They're, they're missing out on this. Right. Uh, in a 2014 study which reviewed 25 tourist guidebooks in Singapore, it was found that only one of the authors of one book chose to cover the park in detail. So, I mean, obviously, it's, it's losing its oomph. The study noted low tourist interest on the internet, which I cannot imagine that this isn't exciting to everyone on the internet. There are photos. Uh, and low tourist foot traffic at the park means that not as many people are, are going. The study's authors also said that um, some of the statues were in disrepair and that maybe there are, because there are so many newer attractions, these old Chinese lesson park ideas maybe aren't so hot and trendy i can't imagine it i want to go so badly i think to bring the park into today they really do need to look at uh replacing the statues with animatronics or some sort of robot right something that that really can show you robot limbs dropping from the bodies and such yes yeah exactly or maybe, maybe it's like on a string. So when the animatronic hacks the limb off, it goes boom, and then it's just pulled back up and rejoined with the body so that. It, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But what they could do to yeah, hold the children's interest is when the limb hits the ground, it bursts open and candy spills out Ooh, like a pinata. That's excellent. And then the arm would reassemble and go back up again for the next show. I think that's a great idea. Kids, we're going to go to the... Um, so even though it's not doing so hot right now, I feel like once we start sharing photos of what this amazing place looks like, <laughs> yep. um, it's got to be revived, right? <laughs> it, this this cannot die. We need this to, is a magical we, place that we all need to experience. We need to have add t-shirts to our merch store that says, Bring Back Tiger Bomb Park. Yes! Um, Ha Par Villa is, uh, according to that tourist guidebook that, that we just spoke of, a treasured past, although one in danger of fading away with new generations of tourists. So I vote, let's not let that happen. I'm with you. Tiger Bomb Park, let's go. We're depriving today's generation of children the awesomeness that is that of beheaded statues. I will show you a picture. Just picture, if you will, for a minute, a family on a warm Saturday afternoon at Tiger Bomb Park. The kid's eyes full of childlike wonderment. Dad, we're gonna, can we go to the snack stand? Okay. Meet us back here in a half an hour next to the Tree of Knives. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Yes. Oh my God, that's horrifying and delightful. That's what happens to drug traffickers. Oh, my God. So drug traffickers are bloodied, stripped, and then tied to what looks like a patio door. Lone sharks, beware. <laughs> wow. Very specific punishments for very specific crimes. Yes, exactly. Which is one of the things that I think I like so much. Yeah. I think my favorite is, I mean, obviously, cheating on a test gets you thrown into the tree of knives. It's a magical place. And we must go. What type of punishment is depicted for those who use the word irregardless? Um, according to the research that I've done, 
Um, that is technically a, a word. Um, and here's why. Because when we use something wrong for long enough, it becomes part of our language. It's the nature of language. There should be a punishment for that, too. I agree. It began as that stuff that didn't seem to fit anywhere else. It's become that thing in the middle. Here are some interesting things that were overheard in a doctor's office. Number five. I work at a doctor's office. A patient and his friend were filling out a form. Under the gender part, sex, he said, I didn't have any before. Is that bad? Number four, I was in the office of a pediatrician. A little boy about four years old stood up on the table and yelled, I can make babies with my balls. His parents were mortified. Number three, I heard a kid asked to pee in the cup at a doctor's office. He unexpectedly got shaky and nervous and asked, do I have to drink it? Number two, at the doctor's office this morning, I heard a little girl tell her mother she loves oldies music. Her mom said, what specifically uh, do you like? And she said, Spice Girls and Backstreet Boys. If that doesn't make you feel old. And number one, my sister gets medications via catheter every other week. Whenever she has a new provider, she drops her pants and announces, and here's my vagina. That's the way to do it. As curator for the Box of Oddities, I've been instructed by the powers that be to issue this urgent warning. Please pay attention. This is for your own good. We've intercepted chatter confirming that Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth will soon be on the streets and roaming freely among you. This warning is specifically for the people in and around the U.S. cities of San Francisco, California, Boston, Massachusetts, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee. Plans for the Box of Oddities live Halloween tour are in place and will be executed October 16th at Cobb's Comedy Nightclub, San Francisco. October 27th at Laugh Boston in Boston. October 29th at the Comedy Zone, Charlotte. And October 30th at Zany's Comedy Nightclub, Nashville. For tickets and information, go to theboxofoddities.com. The Box of Oddities live Halloween tour. Please take all necessary precautions. The Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. You know, we, were, we ran that Halloween tour warning on the last episode and somebody wrote in to say that they listen to the box at night and they only get to the thing in the middle before they doze off. Uh-huh. And then they watch the sec- listen to the second part the next night. As she was dozing off, that, that ad ran and, and she said it scared the shit out of her. Oh, yeah. Sorry Because, you know, that. you're kind of like half, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, the world might be coming to an end. That's, yeah. Like, I think I've mentioned before, it sucks that uh, so many of the... Uh, ASMR things that I enjoy the most are only on YouTube because I don't have the ad free thing. And so, you know, we're talking about like, I just want to make sure that you feel safe with me and do you relax and all of the things that you want will eventually come to you. Get four tires for the price of three at Tire Warehouse! Tire Warehouse! (laughs) Tire Warehouse! And then I die. Yeah, and maybe poop a little. (laughs) Speaking of ad-free, not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but we are uh, in the process of finishing uh, designing a Box of Oddities premium channel. Ooh, 
shit girl. Shit girl. Ad-free will be one of the benefits. There will be many, many more, we'll tell you, as uh, we get closer to launching the uh, premium channel. I think this is going to be fun. I think you'll like it a lot. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Many times we have touched on the very interesting subject of the fine line between genius and insanity. Sure. In this case, I want to look at some people that uh, really kind of straddle the line between creativity and eccentricity. Oh, okay. And these are people that like you know of. People who do art with poop. Okay, uh, that's not on the list, but okay. <laughs> Let's start with uh, Tycho Brahe, Danish astronomer. 
He lived between uh, 1546 and 1601. Okay. He's really well known for uh, the magnificent precision of his telescopes and astron- uh, astronomical uh, measuring devices. Okay. And his uh, astronomical measurements. Of course, telescopes were pretty much just uh, toilet paper tubes with pieces of glass on them. Sure. Very early on. But he made improvements on the telescope and came up with numerous discoveries, including the laws of planetary motion. But he was a little eccentric, just the same. He loved to go to dinner parties. Me too. But he usually did something very odd at every dinner party he went to. One of the uh, more high-profile dinner parties that he went to, he brought a dwarf with him dressed as a clown. And without any explanation, the dwarf just sat under the dinner table. Oh, well, that's inappropriate, but okay. Now, when I say hired a dwarf... He, that's not really an accurate ter- a term because Tico's dwarf was a full-time position. Oh, okay. So he employed a dwarf. He, yeah, he did. The dwarf's tasks included not just sitting underneath tables when Tico was eating, but just hanging around the house dressed in clown makeup. So the story goes that uh, Tico was a notorious heavy drinker and that he hired the dwarf in a in a drunken stupor and then never had the heart to tell him to leave once he sobered up. So he just kept the dwarf on his payroll to sit under his table while he ate. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, so much. Yeah. Little little people aren't toys. It's upsetting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. The imagery is delightful, though. <laughs> I just like the idea of him sobering up and going, wait, what? What did I... Okay... All right, we got a great 401k plan. Let's talk about Michelangelo. The Ninja Turtle? Not the Ninja Turtle, but the artist. The Renaissance Man. Side note, Renaissance Man, the 80s film that we watched for Thanksgiving last year. And that was a win for this household. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he's responsible for great works of art like the Statue of David, in architecture, St. Peter's Basilica... But he was way too busy to observe things like personal hygiene. Yeah, I've heard he was kind of a a grocer. Yeah, his friends behind his back called him Michael Stinklo. Oh, that's not nice. That's not a real friend. He didn't bathe very often. Uh, In fact, rarely, even by 15th century standards. Which was pretty sad. (laughs) Which was pretty sad. He hardly ever changed his clothes. Oftentimes, he would wear clothes until they fell apart without taking them off. He would sleep in full regalia, shoes included. His assistant once complained that he so rarely took off his shoes or his boots that when he did, his skin came away like a snake. Ugh. Yeah. No, thank you. Also, I mean, would that be a good way to exfoliate? Is that something I should look into? Because I have those real rough heels, you know. that might work. You know. (laughs) This this sort of thing has um, caused some people to speculate that maybe Michelangelo was autistic. He showed other signs, too, including um, he struggled with social interactions. I get that. He rarely spoke to other people. He hated speaking to other people. 
And he often would end his encounters by just walking away mid-conversation. I love that. I find that endearing. I think that I'm going to adopt that. I'm just going to start doing it. Yeah, just, just walking ghost away. on conversations. Yep, yep. When Michelangelo's brother died, uh, he skipped to the funeral. That's something else I want to adopt. Well, I mean, how... Oh, that that combined with the slothing, slothing hmm. skin yeah. on his feet, right. I imagine, is a tripping hazard. And painful. I had no idea. I mean, all the representations that I've seen of him, he looks... Well put together. Well, I mean, average. You know, there's nothing... I guess you probably wouldn't paint dirt on someone intentionally like that's true especially if you're friends with all the best painters and it's hard to paint smell <laughs> just like those little green wafty yeah. swirlies above him right with little like flies. like in cartoons yes. yeah <laughs> nikola tesla we love him well we appreciate him his inventions of course, led to all sorts of major technological breakthroughs, uh, breakthroughs, radio, AC electricity, computers, radar, robotics, ballistics, even nuclear physics. He was um, he was he suffered from obsessive compulsive disorder. He was kind of the opposite of Michelangelo. He was a severe germaphobe. And yet he lived with a pigeon. He did live with a pigeon. (laughs) That was toward the end, though. Okay. He refused to touch anything bearing the slightest hint of dirt. He also, interestingly, refused to touch anything that was round. Yeah. That caused some hurdles in his engineering life, I would imagine. I would imagine. uh, Like round like a ball or rounded? Because that's going to eliminate, like... 98% 98% yeah. of the things that you encounter Pretty in Pretty much. World. I, I'm not sure if it was broken down, sphere versus circle. I did an episode on Tesla uh, a while ago, and we mentioned that he was obsessed with the number three. Sure. He insisted on uh, hotel rooms that were divisible by the number three. Mm-hmm. Each meal, he would use 18 napkins, three stacks of six. That seems excessive. What about that carbon footprint, hmm, Tesla? Oh, I bet they were fabric. No, I mean, I get that. I don't request certain hotel rooms uh, because I don't like to be a bother to people. Mm -hmm. Um, Desperately don't want to be a bother to people. However, when I do get a room that has a number that I find pleasing, I do take great joy in it. Yes, you do. that is something that inside I can feel my heart kind of fluttering a little bit right now because I'm thinking about certain hotel rooms that we've stayed in that have had really nice numbers. Right, yeah, I understand. Well, (laughs) we just booked a, uh, a cruise for the first of next year, and we chose the room because the number was pleasing to you. Oh, it's, yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a nice number. I don't care. We're just going on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for humoring me, by the way. <laughs> it's not a problem. Empedocles was among the most renowned geniuses in history. He lived about 450 years before Jesus did. He discovered a few things on his own, like that light travels at a certain speed. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Earth is a sphere. He discovered centrifugal force. How do you do? I. That's one of the things that always amazed me about, especially like these big thinkers from mm. that. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't even say from that time period. I would say from hundreds and hundreds of years later. The the thoughts that, the process that goes into figuring these things out with a little 
understanding that they had of the way that things yeah. worked anyway. Yeah. It blows my mind. Light travels at a speed. How is that <laughs> something that you would figure? I don't know, but I, I remember Carl Sagan talking about how the size of the Earth was originally calculated, and it had to do with um, people putting sticks in the ground in various towns distances away Mm -hmm. and recognizing when high noon was in all of these locations Uh and then in how much of a shadow was cast in the other you know and then figuring out the distance between the two and they came up with the uh the size of the earth an incredibly accurate number i don't remember exactly how close but it was so friggin close that's amazing and yet it's 2019 and we've got the flat earth committee (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and this guy figured it out with sticks (laughs) 2,500 years ago. He also uh, put forth the hypothesis that the air is a substance, not an absence of substance. This is pretty... uh, That's high thinking. Yeah. And he was responsible for starting the Italian School of Medicine. That's pretty amazing. But he thought he was a god. Oh, no. Yeah. And that he was immortal. And to prove it, he announced to his his disciples, his followers, that he was going to jump into a volcano, Mount Etna, and then pop back out all happy and normal. Oh. That didn't turn out too well. No, I mean, he actually did it? What? He did it. No! Yeah. Poet Richard Osborne wrote, Great Empedocles, that ardent soul, leapt into Etna and was roasted whole. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, Empedocles versus the volcano. It's <laughs> Speaking of which, that is another film that we watched recently that I had never seen. <laughs> Joe versus the volcano? Yeah, it was wonderful. You know what? It's a silly movie, but there's a really good message in it. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Plus Tom Hanks, come on. If you can't go wrong with Tom Hanks, America's sweetheart. Some people say it's Julia Roberts. I would argue that. Did I just date myself by saying Julia Roberts was America's sweetheart? Yeah, you did. Dang it! You're a child of the 80s. I am. Um, Cardi B, America's sweet. No? Is that... (laughs) No. 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 (laughs) All right, Lord Byron, you know, the English Hmm. poet. Mm -hmm. He lived from 1788 to 1824. He's considered by many to be second only to Shakespeare in English poetry. And considering Shakespeare didn't write most of Shakespeare stuff. Right, that was Francis Bacon. We all know that. (laughs) Then he wouldn't be second to no one. No one! And the proof lies at the bottom of the pit in Oak Island, just so you know. Anyway, Lord Byron wrote his first poetic work at the age of 14. He was well known for his wit and versatility. His eccentric nature really started to come to light when he uh, arrived at Cambridge and he had a dog. He, he was an animal lover. He loved animals, and he brought his puppy with him to college. But he was ordered to send the dog back home mm. because it was against the rules. And so he challenged it, and they said, no, it's right here in the bylaws. You cannot have a dog on campus. on campus. This is Cambridge. So he was desperate for a pet. So he scoured the bylaws and the policies, and he found that there was no reference to bears. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a bear stayed with Lord Byron in his dorm room. Oh, wow. Now, he was a responsible pet owner. I don't know if he kept him on a college campus. I don't know that that's accurate. No, he, he took him for walks on a leash around the campus. Oh, geez. I'm torn. I respect it, but I'm torn. In addition to that, uh, Lord Byron tra- tried very hard, in vain, 
to uh, get the bear a fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. We had a bear for a very short period of time that lived in a Pepsi crate. <laughs> That's right. When your mom had that animal rescue place. Yeah. That was the same time that there were geese in your bathtub and you had to pee outside. Yeah, right around that time. But as far as like the bear thing, that was just the beginning. One of his friends was quoted as saying, Lord B's establishment consists besides of servants, 10 horses, eight enormous dogs, three monkeys, five cats, an eagle, a crow, a falcon. All of these, except the horses, walk about the house, which every now and then resounds with their unarbitrated quarrels as if they were masters of it. That was in his diary, this guy's diary. Later, his next entry was, I found that my enumeration of animals in this place was defective, and that in a material point. I have just met on the grand staircase five peacocks, two guinea hens, (laughs) and an Egyptian crane. Wow. Yeah. And they just hung out in the house. They did. They just hung out in the house, pooping and stuff. I hope Lord Byron had some help with all that poop. I'm sure he did. He was rich. Sure. Later in life, uh, he kind of moved on from having his own personal zoo. Sure. A menage, if you will. Uh, Yep. He constructed a couple of stone forts on the edge of a lake that he owned, and he would act out naval battles in the lake. (laughs) He He would hide in one of the forts like all day long, shouting out commands to his servant, Joe Murray, who was in one of the boats, and he would just push the boats into the position that the Lord Byron wanted him to. That's amazing. And make cannonball noises. Why can't I be independently wealthy? I want a fort and a servant who will tootle around in a boat for me. And make cannonball noises. Yeah, like... (laughs) That wasn't a good cannonball noise. Pythagoras. This guy was smart. He lived... uh, between 575 and 500 BC. Mathematician, of course. He's the guy that came up with the Pythagorean, Pythagorean theorem. theorem. Yeah. yeah. Apart from, you know, this pillar of trigonometry, he was a very high-profile academic, and he was one of the first to insist natural phenomena could be explained mathematically, which in turn paved the way for the study of physics. Oh. Some pretty heady stuff. Wait. He also started his own religion. Nice. <laughs> yep. And it was pretty insane. It really was. Who's to say, I suppose. sir? No judgment here. Pythagoras' religion had two primary tenets. Souls are reincarnated. And number two, beans are evil. B- I'm sorry, beans? Beans. Here are some of the commandments. Do not, under any circumstance, eat beans. Yeah. <laughs> my boss, I'm sorry, real quick. My boss told me the other day that I couldn't eat beans as a vegetarian because they were technically bat eggs. What? <laughs> yeah, and then he just left, which makes me love him so much. <laughs> Please continue. Number 2, smooth all bodily all bodily indents on pillows and or beds. Okay. Sure, tidying your bed's important. Not something I would write into my religion, but Cool. Do not step over a crossbar. Number four, do not, under any circumstance, sit on a quart. Don't walk on highways. Do not leave the pot's impression in the ashes after removing it from the fire. Sound a little OCD there, maybe. Yeah. You didn't like impressions in beds. Didn't like impressions in ashes. 
He liked things tidied up after you've used them. Do not stir a fire without iron. And do not let swallows nest under your roof. This is such a strange list of things to be tenants for a religion. Yeah. It's, what was the religion called? Do we know? Pythagoreanism. Sure. That's what it was called. His rules also included uh, becoming a vegetarian and also pacifism. I mean, I can get into some of those. Yeah. Well, the vegetarian thing, apparently he bent the rules a little bit uh, during the uh, celebrated slaughtering of the ox ceremony. Okay. Um, I just don't understand how he was pro-vegetarian and anti-bean. Yeah. How you get your protein, boo. (laughs) And then finally, a guy named John Christie. He and his wife are most well-known for starting the Glyndenborn Opera Festival. Oh, I'm not familiar. John was also a famed British eccentric. Here are some of the strange things this guy did. Now, he, he was a wealthy man. He started this opera house. An opera festival that lasts to this day. Glorious. Did I ever tell you I saw Phantom of the Opera in Edinburgh Edinburgh once? That's weird. It's magical. One evening while uh, at the opera, sitting next to the queen, he removed his glass eye, cleaned it with a hanky, put it back in the socket, and then asked the queen whether it was straight. Well, I didn't want to look uneven. Not to the queen. No. If he got too hot, instead of, like, taking off his jacket or changing his clothes... He would cut the arms off his formal jacket. Just cut them off. <laughs> he was just ahead of his time. That was a big thing in the 80s. He wore his formal jacket all the time, but then he wore an old pair of tennis shoes as well. I love it. It's kind of a mixed message there. Sure. He owned 180 handkerchiefs, 110 shirts, and oh. despite paying tens of thousands of pounds on an opera production, he would always travel third class and carry his own luggage so he wouldn't have to tip. It seems like maybe he's a bit of a hoarder because how many shirts? 110. What? And he had 70 handkerchiefs more than he had shirts. For whatever reason, I don't know. There was a period of time in the 30s where he wore nothing but lederhosen. (laughs) Yes. And he expected all the guests at his opera house to do the same. Oh, my. And he was always angered when they did not follow his fashion instructions. Sure. Lederhosen. I love it. Glorious. I think out of all those people, he's my favorite. John Christie. Glass eye, taking out, polishing, putting back in socket, showing to Queen. 110 shirt having, lederhose wearing at an opera guy. Lord Byron's my favorite by far. I'm sorry. I'm just going to have a falcon in the dining room. (laughs) Falcon. Because I can. Yeah. I'm rich and eccentric. And the laws haven't caught up with me yet. You can come into my home, but there is a falcon. And he might eat your face. I love that idea of like creating reasons why people might not want to come over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Discourage people from (laughs) hanging out at your house. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, we are having an obligatory Christmas celebration. Um, The falcon's loose. Haven't seen the bear in days and he's probably hungry. Just keep it in mind. Yeah. BYOB. That's rude. I would never have a BYOB party. No, I mean, at our wedding reception, we had no food but an open bar. Yeah. That's where we It wasn't even an open bar as much as it was just a table full of a shit ton of booze. Right. Yeah, that was it. There was no food. I mean, we had snacks. Well, we had crackers and vegetables. Right. Uh, There were also fruit tarts that I got that were really good. And did you notice that the only thing that was gone was the alcohol? Yeah, the Jack and Coke... 
dispenser was a big hit. (laughs) But that's where our heads were at. We're going to have a wedding reception. We know our friends and family. No food, just lots of booze. No kids. Leave by 11. Oh, I am so excited about our live tour coming up. Halloween season. Our first, uh, the first show is going to be the 16th of October at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco. And tickets for that should be going on sale very soon. Yeah, I think within a week, and we'll we'll let you know exactly. The other shows are already on sale. Boston, boom! October 27th. Charlotte, boom! October 29th. And back to Nashville. On October 30th, Halloween Eve. I'm so excited. You guys... And VIP tickets, by the way, are just about sold out, so hurry if you want them. VIP is cool because we get to meet you, and yeah. that's kind of kind of our bag and why we do this. Yep. And so I'm thrilled. I'm very excited. I'm so grateful that we've been able to even book these shows. Like <laughs> the fact that I'm going to San Francisco. I've never been on the West Coast. That, like I said, the furthest west that I've been is Albuquerque. So <laughs> I'm pretty jazzed. And we're not going to be there for long. I mean, legit, like a matter of hours, we will be in California. But I'm still so excited to to meet you and to enjoy your delicious noodles. One I'm, of the weird things for me so far is finding out today that the San Francisco show, when tickets go on sale, they'll be available on Ticketmaster. Yeah. Is that even possible? Is that real? Yeah, it doesn't seem. Um, Anyway, you can get all of your tickets to all of the shows and all of the information to that stuff by going to our website. TheBoxOfOddities.com Love you, and we'll see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those who report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts if you like this podcast can we recommend another one It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.